If you are what you say you are, a superstar, then have no fear, the camera's here, and the microphones, and they wanna know, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, uh, a fresh cool young Lou, trying to cash his microphone, check to one, all right, all right, all right. You're listening to the We're Talking Football podcast, coming to you from a shared universe podcast studio. I'm Weston. With me to my left is my right-hand man, Lou. Lou, I've made an executive decision. I'm going to hire you full-time to come to my house and be my personal DJ All right. while I am working. The hits just keep on coming from you, brother. Like I said, I do bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. Weddings, you name it, I do it. You left out quinceañeras from your last time. I cannot pronounce that, actually. <laughs> so after a two-week hiatus, we are back at it. It is our favorite time of the off-season. It is draft month. I'm super excited about our show tonight. Lou, do me a favor. Tell the listeners what we have in store for them this evening for our first show related to the 2021 <clears throat> NFL draft. Well, I'm really excited what we have coming down the pipeline. Uh, from uh, some of the shows that we have here. We're going to kick it off by going over some of uh, our favorite players in this year's draft. We're going to go over about like probably around four players each, You know what we like about them, kind of give them some uh, brief scouting reports, some player comps, let the viewers know which games we watch so they know, you know how much homework we put in and what have you. Then we're going to drop a bomb and saying what player we don't like that's getting a lot of hype from a lot of, I'm going to say, media that we just don't frankly understand. So that's pretty much uh, the voyage we're going to take you on today's show. A fantastic voyage it'll be. Maybe we've got to work that into the playlist. It's on the list. <laughs> so what I'm thinking here, Lou, is, and what I love about tonight's show is it's certainly a different approach than to what we see from a, a typical draft prospect coverage. Really, the intention you and I discussed was to not necessarily cover all of the premier prospects, um, but to focus on some day one, day two type prospects that could positively impact teams. Um, so, yes, we'll, you'll hear a superstar name here or there, but maybe some – I don't want to call them under the radar. If you're day one, day two, you're not under the radar. But realistically, like, again, we're not talking about seven of the top ten draft picks come April 29th. Yeah. So do you want to start us off? Do you want to alternate? Yeah, let's, go, let's alternate. alternate. All right, cool. We didn't really discuss that, so yeah. a little free form here. Okay. So kick us off. All right, so before I tell you about my first prospect that I'm going to be uh, covering today, I want to talk real quick about something called relative athletic scores because I'm going to be dropping this uh, terminology numerous times throughout the show, and I want the viewers to basically have a better understanding. Relative, uh, relative athletic scores is basically a metric and analytic system created by a guy named Kent Plate. Uh, it takes players' measurements, like their height, their weight, their 40-time, broad jump, three-cone drills, you name it, and puts them on a 0 to 10 scale compared to the position groups. Cornerbacks are compared to cornerbacks. Wide receivers are compared to wide receivers. Then a final score is then produced, which is also on a 0 to 10 score to show overall athleticism for a draft prospect. This helps determine a prospect's speed, explosion, and agility. And the main reason and purpose of this is to chart trends over time, showing that overall athleticism is a likely contributing factor to a player's success in the NFL. I know it's very sabermetrics-esque, and I, I, I'm a firm believer in analyzing 
you know, these type of numbers. You also have to incorporate the tape too, so I'm not just a, a live and die by something like this. So if I say something like RAS, that's basically kind of like a, a metric system that, uh, that that's being popularly used uh, nowadays. So the first person I'm going to be talking about is Jason. So before, sorry, and before you talk about your first, and I won't say the person's name because I almost did, this is what I love about us as the odd pairing and the odd couple because yeah. you are very much self-identified a metric man, and I've always claimed that I am a – I am a kind of a tape only, eyeballs only. I, I put very little stock into measurables. So I'm saying that to let audience know that you won't hear a RAS score from any of my <laughs> players because I didn't have the metrics to, to, or I, you know, I didn't put those into that that scoring system. But I think this is where we blend really, really well, right? Like yeah. you look at football from a totally different lens than I look at football, but we we meet in the middle. And I think that's what is going to make tonight really exciting when we're talking about these players. Yeah, I feel like I'm like Neo in the Matrix. I see everything in numbers. So Okay. Yeah. So, uh, First guy I'm covering is J.C. Horn. Uh, a little quick background on J.C. Horn. If the last name sounds familiar, it should. J.C. Horn is the son of former NFL wide receiver Joe Horn. Who pulled the cell phone out from under the the or the the wrapping yes. in the end zone on his, his touchdown celebration? Yes. So for J.C. Horn, everyone keeps on talking about Patrick Sertain, but uh, I think J.C. Horn's cornerback one for me. And I, I know who else agrees with me: Richard Sherman, who knows a thing or two about cornerback play. Sherman stated on Pro Football Focus: Horn is the guy he thinks is going to be the most successful in the NFL coming out of this year's class. Josh Palmer former uh, Tennessee Volunteers wide receiver, also has some high praise for Horn. He anointed him the number one trash talker in the SEC. That's high praise. That is high praise, right? <laughs> a lot of trash talking going on in that conference. Exactly. So if, you, if you're number one, it means you're doing something right. And we're talking about the SEC. This kid played in the SEC. He is battle-tested. I'm going to drop a bunch of wide receivers he's covered during his collegiate career. A.J. Brown, Kyle Pitts, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, Van Jefferson, Justin Ross, Cornell Powell. Those are heavy hitters. All of them are top wide receivers that are NFL either already in the NFL or NFL bound. So those are heavy hitters that he went up against. Impressive so resume. It is, it is. So some games I watched, I watched the Auburn film, Florida, LSU, and Ole Miss. So let's go over some of his strengths. The RAS score, 9.99 out of 10. Jesus. Jesus. That, that means he's ranked second out of over 1,700 cornerbacks from 1987 to 2021. Do you know who was first? Dion. Eh, that's a good guess. Byron Jones. Okay. Byron Jones and that crazy workout. He had that ridiculous broad jump that ranked him number one. So right then and there it tells me, he has the, 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 the explosion and the athleticism right there. So then I went to the tape. What I saw, he's an alpha dog. He exudes confidence when he's on the field. I think the young folks will say he has, like, swag. Did I, did I do that right? I don't know. I'm not young anymore, Lou, yeah, but I think sure. I've heard that term Can we get a fact twice? check, fact check, please? <laughs> uh, he's amazing in press man coverage. Once he gets his hands on you, boom, you're done. Horn's also a big hitter when he tackles. We're going to get into that a little bit. He's a gambler, but in a good way. He's always going for that pass breakup or that interception, and he has phenomenal recovery speed. Let me give you an example. He always lets the wide receiver think that they beat him because he wants to bait the quarterback to throw at him and then goes for the pick or the pass breakup. He's always ripping at the ball. 
And if you want to see what he did against the unicorn in this year's draft, Kyle Pitts, go watch that film. It was phenomenal. Now, Pitts beat him numerous times, but Horn was all over Pitts. It was, his, it was perfect coverage by Horn, but Pitts, like I say, is a unicorn, man. He just would use his bigger frame to shield Horn and make uh, the catch. Some of the weaknesses, he needs to improve his off-man coverage. He reacts slow and plays tentative. He has a tendency to miss tackles, and that's just putting it lightly. He's a big hitter, but he whiffs on them a lot. He missed 21.1% of his tackles, which ranked him 193rd out of 300 eligible cornerbacks in this year. Uh, this year's draft. So not good. He's also grabby. He's going to need to refine some of his technique to avoid holding p- and uh, pass interference penalties in the NFL. But, hey, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, in my opinion. Hey, two points to make here. He's not afraid to come up and try to tackle. Love that about him. Maybe he's not the best at it. And to your point, good corners are grabby. They're aggressive. They let, they want to be close to you, and they're going to cheat every way they can, and they know every technique on how to do it. I don't care if my cornerback can tackle. Just just shut down that number one wide receiver. Uh, so pro comparison, uh, the way he plays man coverage and his aggressive, aggressiveness reminds me of Jalen Ramsey. Now, I'm not saying he's Jalen Ramsey because Ramsey, in my opinion, was the best cornerback ever scouted. He had no flaws, Ramsey, in his games. Horn isn't as well-rounded as Jalen Ramsey, who was coming out of college. Ramsey was a better tackler. He's better in zone and also better at off-man coverage. The closest comparison for me for J.C. Horn would be probably be Marlon Humphrey. And some of the best fits, I have Chargers. Uh, they have a huge hole at their second cornerback position, and new Chargers head coach is bringing more of an attacking man scheme to L.A., He's coached Ramsey before, too. Why not bring a player that loosely reminds him of, of uh, the former cornerback? The Cardinals, he would be a great replacement for Patrick Peterson. The Broncos, can you really have too many cornerbacks when you're playing Mahomes and Herbert twice a year, right? And also the Lions, that would give them the most dynamic young duo at cornerback to help slow Rodgers and those wide receivers out in Minnesota. That's it. I love it. I'm a big J.C. Hoare fan. You and I have already talked about this offline. I have... Totally agree. He's. I felt like I put him on you. He's cornerback one. Like, and I don't even think it's a question. It's just a matter of what teams are drafting, where they're drafting, and what they value more. Right. I think we've identified this dude is solid in man coverage. So if I run a high zone scheme, if I'm cover three, sitting a lot of you know cloud two, is he my guy? Probably not. But on pure skill and what he brings to the field, I think he. I agree. He's QB one, and it's not even close. Uh, cornerback one, and it's not even close. All right. <clears throat> so I'm going to start with wide receiver one, um, and th- this is debatable. But I'm going to make a statement here in-, in a moment, and I might as well just leave with it. To me, this individual could have the most upside of any player in this entire draft. And Lou, you have a text message from me when I said it after watching tape to hold me accountable to the statement. So I'm starting with Jamar Chase, wide receiver from LSU. He's 21 years old. He's six foot, 201 pounds, ran a 4.3840 at his pro day. In 2019, his last year of tape, because he sat out last year due to COVID, 84 catches, 1,780 yards, 20 touchdowns, and averaged 21.2 yards per a catch. I've told you I'm not a statistic guy. Those are some pretty sexy statistics. Yeah, he was better than Justin Jefferson, man. Look what Justin Jefferson yeah. just did. Yeah, I'm going to talk records. about that in a moment. It's actually, if I had to identify some weakness, I'm, I'm going to highlight that he did play opposite, you know, Justin Jefferson and a stacked um, national championship LSU team in his last year of tape. Um, so when I look at 
kind of the background here sat out 2020 due to COVID. The last tape he put out was 2019, which I think actually benefits him because he's selling high, right? Like there's not an opportunity to put out bad tape coming off of a year just like that. Yeah, and he was doing that at 19 years old, by the 19 way. 19 years old. And I watched a lot of, so I watched the national champ. I went back and watched the national championship game against Clemson where he had nine catches for 221 yards and two touchdowns against Texas A&M, seven receptions for 197 yards and two touchdowns. Arkansas, six for 144, two touchdowns. Ole Miss, eight for 227, three touchdowns. Alabama, six for 140 and a touchdown. And Vanderbilt, 10 for 229 and four touchdowns. I watched all of those games. He was by far and away the best player on the field in those games. And those that's all SEC talent, which we always agree is the premier talent level in collegiate football. So weaknesses, I'll start with. He's got one year of legit tape. One year of legit tape. So is he a one-hit wonder? I, I think that the tape says he is not, but that's, that's a fair question. Um, I just mentioned how he is selling high with based on the, the film he put out in 2019. Technique-wise, he certainly has a tendency to, to get off the line and even get out of his breaks upright. So what I mean by that is like he's exposing his, his chest. So in press coverage, something along those lines, he's an open target because he's got a wider frame. I can get my hands on him in that five-yard buffer, and I can reroute him. So he's going to need to fine-tune that for sure. Um, like most collegiate wide receivers, there's opportunity to improve on his route running and more specifically probably his downfield blocking. But I think I can make that critique on basically any college wide receiver. But I do think blocking is an attitude. So do you carry that attitude about yourself? We'll find out. You mentioned doing all that, having all that production while playing opposite of Justin Jefferson. I see that as a hindrance because he also didn't face a lot of double coverage. You had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as your running back. You had Joe Burrow as your quarterback. You had Justin Jefferson. You had a young Marshall out there. So you had a lot of premier targets to not face double t- double coverage. He should be able to get open against single coverage and put up these statistics. So can he... Is he better than the schemes that he will see from NFL defensive coordinators and NFL caliber talent? Remains to be seen. Strengths. He is unbelievably smooth and fluid. Tremendous burst off the line. Great first step. So what I mean there, no false steps, right? Doesn't, he does, that back foot doesn't go further back for a delay. It's a single motion where he's moving forward. He can stretch the field and be your typical possession wide receiver on big third downs. He, to me, he's not a one-trick pony. He's quick into his routes. What I love most about him is he plays so much faster than he looks. And he's even faster when the ball is in his hands and he just pulls away from the defenders after making the catch. I feel like he runs angry too. Yes, yes. He he runs for contact, right? Like he's not going to make you miss. He's going to try to run through you. And that's what I love about his six foot, 200 pound frame is he can get lower. He can lower a shoulder and he can play through the contact. He is athletically gifted. 41-inch vertical, an 11-foot um, broad jump, and he has tremendous body control and this like weird ability to like contort his body when he's going up to make the catch and be in a position that he wasn't when he left his feet in the first place. And I think that's going to service him really, really well at the NFL level. We've talked about a lot of different of the free agents out there about good contested catch players. This guy is absolutely one of those. I already talked about how he pulls away in the open field. 
to me, it all adds up that he plays like someone who stands six foot three, six foot four versus his six foot, um, six foot even stature. And you just talked about he runs angry. My note here is he doesn't go down with first contact. It takes multiple defenders to bring him down when he has a, a head of steam. So if I was thinking about like pro comps here, and I've read a lot about some pro comps, um, I've seen things like Victor Cruz, no. which is weird to me because they're like just not even a typical bill, but like production wise. Um, Kenny Galladay, okay, Galladay's a six four, but they they have a, a similar skill set to their game. You and I talked offline, and you've mentioned similarities like OBJ, people like Steve Smith, and I really like the Steve Smith comparison. Um, they play like dogs. They're incredible for going um, at going up for the ball, but to me, he feels much more like an Amari Cooper with even more upside because he catches the ball so well, and that was the knock on Amari Cooper. So to me, if I had to compare it to somebody based on college production coming out and how he was valued, Amari Cooper would be that guy. But I am telling you, on tape, he is the best player in the 2021 NFL draft. Yeah, like I said before, and you, you see uh, we've had these conversations, I think he just is a bigger Steve Smith. That like that, He just so eerily reminds me of him. And who's, who's unhappy about drafting that guy and what he's done in, in – the NFL level. Exactly. So I, if I'm him, I'm fine with that comparison all day long. Yeah. All right. Who you got number two? Uh, oh, man. We went from like a sexy wide receiver now to uh, – Let's do it. Let's get in the trenches, man. Nah, not trenches yet, but more of a functional uh, tight end from Penn State, Pat Fryermuth. That's going to that's gonna be really hard for me to say during this whole uh, time. Um, so Let's call him Pat. Yeah. Let's call him Pat. So uh, background on Pat. Uh, basically, he has some big shoes to fill after Mike Gusecki left Penn State to enter the 2018 NFL Draft. And boy, did Pat really fill them. Uh, let's go through some stats real quick. In 2018, when he was a freshman, he had 26 receptions for 368 yards and eight touchdowns. As a freshman, eight touchdowns in that conference. Pretty impressive in the Big Ten. He followed that year with even a better sophomore year when he had 43 receptions, 507 yards, and seven touchdowns as well. So, uh, and last but not least, in 2020, uh, now, his production was affected in 2020 for numerous reasons. A, there was inconsistent uh, quarterback play, which, frankly, when you say inconsistent quarterback play, you know what you're saying? Shitty quarterback play. <laughs> and also, Facts. he, he uh, experienced a season-ending shoulder injury, that which requires surgery. So, in, last year wasn't his, he didn't go off on a high note. He had 23 receptions, 310 yards, and only one touchdown. Games I watched was Michigan, Nebraska, and Ohio State. Now, some strengths. He's a complete and versatile tight end that can play effectively as an inline tight end, so closer to the you know line of scrimmage, your traditional tight end, but also athletic enough to be utilized in the slot. His 6'5", 251-pound frame makes him a big red zone target. The kid had 16 touchdowns in 29 games. Pretty impressive in the Big Ten. He also had a nice bl- he also has a nice blend of size and speed. He's fast enough to run away from defenders on crossing routes, which I thought was pretty impressive. He doesn't catch the ball with his body. He instead he uses his strong hands to pluck it out of the air, which is a highly coveted skill set. Will do most of his damage down the seams. Love the way he boxes out smaller defenders and shields them out to make contested catches and move the chains. He also absorbs blows over the middle and still maintains possession. Translation: This kid's tough. I mean, he had the name Baby Gronk for a reason. Now, I'm not saying he's on Gronk's level, but he also doesn't have back injuries like Gronk did coming out of college. Uh, a lot of people have criticized his blocking, but I don't see it. I disagree. I turned on the Nebraska game. 
He consistently pushed defenders back when manned up on ISO blocks or double teams. He did a fantastic job as well as pulling as a run blocker to get to the second level, identifying the linebacker they need to be cut off. He's a way better blocker, in my opinion, than most tight ends coming out of college. Some weaknesses? He runs sloppy routes. Needs more refinement as a route runner. His routes aren't crisp. He rounds out a lot of his routes coming out of his breaks, especially on out routes. He does have some concentra- uh, concentration drops. Uh, he needs to also do a better job recognizing pockets in the zone and when to sit down in them and be a bailout for his uh, quarterback. He's a good athlete, but not an elite one like you know Pitts is or Noah Fant. And injury history. We stayed before he had surgery to repair a torn anterior and posterior labrum. How's his shoulder going to hold? Say that three times. Fast. I couldn't. I'm shocked I even got it out the first time. How's that shoulder injury going to hold up, especially with his physical style of play? Pro comparison was difficult. I was thinking Hunter Henry, but he's more athletic than Henry. So how about TJ Hawkinson? Similar size, 6'4", 250, coming out of college. Both willing, capable blockers that can play in line and the slot. They're sneaky athletic. They even has similar college uh, production as well. Some best fits. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of teams right now. I want to teams right now. I want to see if you can identify what they all have in common. You ready? Jaguars, Chargers, Jets, Bills, Bengals. A need for a tight end. Well, yeah, obviously, <laughs> but they all have young play call- callers who need who have that, uh, that that need that missing warm security blanket in that offense to help them sleep at night. Does the tape tell you, and your rash statistics tell you that he? is projected to have better success than Mike Gusecki in the NFL. 100%. Good. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think he's better than Mike Gusecki. He's more physical than Mike Gusecki. And I feel like you can utilize him in way more strategies in more uh, strategies than you could with Gusecki. Because Gusecki, I don't – you're not going to use him in an inline. Yep. I, admittedly, and that's why I'm asking you, I did not watch a ton of Penn State offensive tape or Penn State – you know, they started what 0 and 5, 0 and 6 this year. It was just like a weird year for them collegially. So, you know, most of my time was spent watching the defensive side of the ball, which you and I are both going to talk about here yep. in, in short order. So, I, I wanted your genuine opinion on that. Yep. All right. So that leaves me up with number two, huh? So, I'm gonna I'm gonna love talking about this individual. He might be. I know when we were going through Senior Day as like our first show or Senior Bowl. I gushed about a couple players that I thought would be my draft crush. I, I This individual has quickly transformed into my draft crush. And it's Asante Samuel Jr., uh, defensive back, cornerback from Florida State. He's 21 years old. He's 5'10", 184 pounds. He clocked a 4.45 and a 4.52 40 at his pro day. He's a 4.5 guy, right? Let's average that out. 35-inch vertical. 10-foot, 4-inch broad jump. Some background here. He is the son of Asante Samuel Sr., who was a two-time Super Bowl champion, an all-pro who played 11 seasons in the league, 11 seasons in the league. Some pretty darn good pedigree. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that he is a better prospect coming out of college than his own father was. So hopefully he lives up to the tape. This is where he's super impressive. In 2018, as a true freshman, 18 tackles, 9 passes defensed. In 2019, 49 tackles, 1 pick, 14 passes defensed. In 2020, 30 tackles, 3 picks, 6 passes defensed. 
He only played eight games in 2020 after declaring for the draft and just a bad season for FSU football that it was just better for him to preserve his body, get ready for his NFL prospects. Or quit on his team. Depends how you look at it. A lot of people did this. A lot of people held out for COVID for reasons, and he's not alone in doing that. I'd like to think, given who his father is, this guy's not a quitter on his team. But, hey. Just playing the contrarian. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, so it depends on, on how you view him. If you were listening to those stats, Lou, 29 passes defensed in 21 games. Can I also add something real quick? Yeah. What's even more impressive, he's had numerous defensive coordinators, meaning they've had – he stated that he's had numerous different types of defenses. He's played man, zone, depending on who they brought in for defensive coordinator. So he did all that in numerous schemes. Yep. And there's a trick to his trade, and it's a little bit about his background as well that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into in here in a moment. So the games I watched, Georgia Tech, Miami, UNC, Notre Dame. Admittedly, not a ton of exciting tape in 2020 after that first first game, which was Georgia Tech. And it's really because I think teams were just shying away from him and thrown to the other, other side of the field because of what he's capable of doing. And he had two picks in that very first game. So I think tape said we should stay away from this individual. From a weakness standpoint, by some people's standards, he's going to be considered undersized, especially compared to the, let's call it the modern day six foot two corner. He also has a tendency to grab, but I've already told you how I love that. Um, but it will be a penalty in the NFL all day long. He is not the best tackler by any means, but another guy who's willing to stick his nose in there. He just has piss-poor form, um, and he's often hanging around by the ankle till somebody else gets there. <clears throat> and he does struggle tracking the ball downfield while the ball's in the air. It's almost like he gets a little lost when the play is behind him. When he keeps everything in front of him, he might be the best corner in this draft. He excels tremendously, and he struggles with zone coverage. He will need to be heavily coached up by a coordinator or a, a DB coach if he is drafted into a team that runs predominantly zone scheme. Or his dad. His dad was phenomenal in zone. Yeah, I, I, but that's not his strength. He's a man guy. Bigger receivers will push this man around. They have, and they will continue to do it because, again, he's not a massive human being. Strengths? I've already identified it. He is tremendous in man coverage. He might be one of the best prospects that I've personally have evaluated over the last few years in terms of recognizing the wide receiver's patterns. And part of this is because, and I think this is the trick of his trade, he played quarterback in high school. Mm. So he understands tendencies. He understands split alignment. He understands things like that that are going, hey, this guy's really wide, wide of the hash. He's probably driving me inside on a slant, a, a slow go, whatever it might be. I'm jumping it, right? And and he does gamble, and, and that may be a weakness that he gambles. And like any good corner, you're going to lose every once in a while. Super loose and fluid hips. Very quick feet. Another area that I want to praise him is his T-step from his back pedal is absurd. There is zero wasted movement when he is coming to a stop to make his break in terms of recognition. Uh, I just said, quick break on the ball when playing even off-man coverage, even though he's not opposed to getting up into your chest. He has experience playing the slot 
and outside mm-hmm. in college. I think Huge. that's going to bode him very, very well as he develops in the NFL because the team that drafts him is going to say, this guy's a slot corner for me all day long, and I think he's going to show, like his daddy, that he can play outside the numbers as well. He, to me, is like glue in man-to-man coverage, and I think that's how is anything more evident than based on the volume of his past breakups that he's recorded. And he would self-admit, and I've heard him on live interviews, that he's mad at himself because he has left numerous interceptions on the field. That's probably why he plays corner versus playing wide receiver, Mm -hmm. right? I said he's willing to come up and tackle. Um, I saw in in that um, Boston College game, I saw him come up and tackle A.J. Dillon, who is a moose of a running back, in the open field by himself. So to me that says I'm willing to do it, but – you know, he's not Deion Sanders making business decisions just yet. <laughs> That's probably a few years down the line. Some pro comps, his father. I, I think he's a clone of his father um, in, in some capacity. Uh, just a ton of similarities in their game. If I had to not state the, the obvious, Mackenzie Alexander, when coming out of Clemson, who now plays for the Vikings. I just think those two have a, a very similar skill set. Obviously, Mackenzie's been relatively competent. I think Asante Samuel Jr. will be even more competent. Um, in the NFL, and again, he, he he might be and probably is my draft crush. He's realistically probably a day-two guy, but a very early day-two guy. Now, I'm just shooting from the hip here, so I don't have any formal list here, so I would probably have him as my cornerback four, yeah. which is early day-two. I think he'd be higher if evaluators were more confident that he could play outside the numbers. Yeah. I think a lot of their confidence and rankings are based on that can I can I have QB a cornerback one be in the slot? Like realistically, no. You know, he's not a Farley, he's not a Sertan, he's not like those guys are cut to be playing outside. Mm-hmm. I think he will prove that he can and will, but the immediate evaluation on him is he's a, a ready to start slot corner. We're going from your draft crush to mine. Uh, I can't wait to hear this. Actually, I'm going to blush a little bit, so this is going to be embarrassing. We're going to stay in Happy Valley. And we're going to be talking about Micah Parsons, a linebacker from Penn State. A little background on Parsons. Parsons played defensive end and running back in high school, where he thrived in both spots. The guy had 41 and a half sacks in three years in, in high school. His senior year, he moved to running back. He ran for tw- over 1,200 yards and 27 touchdowns. The first time he's ever playing running back. Imagine trying to tackle that guy. I know. School. It's crazy. So watching his film, you can really see some of his defensive end and running back aspects to his game. It's kind of crazy. So let's go to the stats. His freshman year, he had 82 tackles, four for loss, one and a half sacks. That's really good, right? He only started one game that year. Jeez. Did all that while only starting one game. His second year, uh, sophomore year, he had 109 tackles, 14 tackles for loss, five sacks, Four forced fumbles. Balled out, went bonkers. He sat out in 2020 like a lot of the premier uh, players in this year's draft. Um, and by the way, he's actually my fifth player on my board, fifth highest ranked player on this in this draft. Game, no, no argument here. Yeah. Games watched, uh, Minnesota, Michigan, and Memphis. Memphis was the cotton ball bowl where he was the MVP. Listen to this stat line. 14 tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles in a big game. So let's talk about some of his strengths. At six foot three, 246 pounds, Parsons has prototypical size and measurables for the modern day linebacker. He also has a massive wingspan. His fluid hips, uh, he has a good change of direction while patrolling the middle of the field. 
does a fantastic job playing the passing lanes. Games I saw, he either was batting down numerous passes or altered the throws that the quarterback had to made, make. He's adequate at shedding blocks and sifting through traffic to locate ball carriers. Quick to diagnose and excellent processor information. Has fantastic vision to penetrate the offensive line. Like I said before, he plays linebacker like a running back. He finds the hole and hits it. Let me give you an example. There's a play in the Minnesota game where he turned his shoulders, got skinny through the open hole, and smacked the running back and brought the running back down for a tackle for a loss. That was, I'm like, wow, he looked like a running back there. He's a hunter. He does a great job locating that ball carrier. He's a sound tackler, too, once he gets his hands on you. He covers a lot of ground when he goes east to west. was all over the field in the Memphis game. you got to look at that game. It was so impressive. He's an effective blitzer, being that he was a former edge rusher that was converted to an off-the-ball linebacker. He actually has an arsenal of moves for an off-the-ball linebacker. He has a spin move, a dip and rip, and he also has an elite bend to duck under pads. There was a play in the Michigan game where he beat number 73. He literally just ducked under his pad level and went under him, under the, the offensive tackle's hands to, for the sack. He has excellent bursts and first step of, off the edge when blitzing. He has active and violent hands when engaging offensive linemen. He's an attacker. He's, the, he's like a missile on delayed blitzes. It's insane. He easily beats guards on blitzes and stunts. He's way too quick for that man. Uh, so I told you, I got a little red in the face right, right there. I'm, I'm enjoying <laughs> it. That's why you're not even hearing anything from me. I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> so, you know, let's go over some of the weaknesses, and they're far and few. Uh, he can over-pursue ball carriers, taking him out of plays. He's a little stiff in his back pedals, doesn't get enough depth when he drops in his zone coverage, can be a little more inst- instinctual. Uh, and this is the really big – those are minor, but this is the really big issues. He has numerous off-the-field issues. He had a transfer to another, high, uh, to another high school because he was accused of inciting a riot at high school. Who hasn't done that, though, you know? <laughs> not, not living your life in high school if you're not in starting riots. <laughs> right? It's like, a, it's like a passage of life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in 2018, he poured water on a teammate at Penn State, which led to a physical altercation. But all that being said, go listen to what he said. Now, this is going to be a quote, what he said. He goes, obviously, people had some concerns about things that had happened. But at the end of the day, I was a kid. I was 17 or 18 years old. We all make mistakes when we're 17 or 18 years old. I'm not going to let it control or dictate the person I am now. I'm not going to let something that happened four years ago dictate who I'm becoming and the father I want to be. Now, that's all lip service. That was fantastic what he said, but I'm a believer of that, that he's matured and dedicated to football. Now, why do I feel that way? He opted out of 2020 and showed up to his pro day readily prepared and killed it. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't messing around when his time off. He was preparing. To me, that shows the testament how focused he is to become elite. We've seen this before with players like Randy Moss, Warren Sapp, players with minor character issues that caused them to slip in the draft. And all they did was become Hall of Fame type of caliber players. A smart team should not make the same mistake that was made in the past. My pro comparison, this guy's Devin White written all over him. He's great at run support. He gets to the quarterback and solid at playing the pass. He's a three-down linebacker. And even more if your defensive coordinator is creative. Some best fits? How about the Falcons? They're switching to a 3-4 defense. And former Ravens defensive coach Dean Pease, he needs an identity on that defense. He needs a playmaker. They have absolutely no one that strikes the fear in hearts of an opposing offense. What about the Washington football team? Let's throw gasoline on a fire, shall we? Give Riverboat Ron another defensive chess piece and actually address the linebacker position, which is a weakness. 
How about the Broncos? Vic Fangio is a brilliant defensive mind that would be creative in Parsons' de- uh, deployment. They, too, are also weak at the linebacker position. And last but not least, how about the Patriots? I think that Bill Guy likes that versatile defensive playmaker. I'm not 100% sure, but I get a weird, weird feeling that he can maybe make use of him. I, there are 32 teams in the NFL, Lou. I would challenge any general manager or defensive coordinator in the NFL to tell me that they couldn't use this guy. I just hope I just hope he goes to a 3-4 team as opposed to a 4-3 team. I want him all over the place. I, I don't say. just want him as a four, as a will linebacker. The the 3-4 lets him be more hybrid, right? Yeah. Instead of just like you're keeping him off the ball or you I don't want I don't know if I want this guy just covering tight ends and and backs out of the backfield. Like I want him smacking backs at the line of scrimmage. I want him chasing quarterbacks. Let him use his pass rushes prowess. Yeah, let him do everything that he does well. Let's not ask him to do other things. Yeah, the, a lot of people pro comp him to Miles uh, Jack, which would be phenomenal, but I think I think he's better than that. I, again, no disagreement here. I, I like Parsons a lot. What do you got next? So I'm, I'm getting into the trenches on the offensive side of the ball here, Whoa. which is like unchartered territory for me, trust wow. me. So Dylan Radintz. The offensive tackle from North Dakota State. He's 23 years old. He's six foot five and a half, 300 pounds. He has an 80 inch wingspan. He's got 33 inch arms, 40 time of 5'11, three cone and 727, and a short shuttle of 453. I don't normally spit out three cones and short shuttles, but I think his 40 times a little bit misleading. Those are pretty decent three cone and shuttle times to speak to his athletic ability. Some background on him, which I think is important because he played at an FCS school, right? It's not the same level of competition like these other guys we're talking about. So he came into college as a defensive end. He was scouted as a DN, which to me speaks to his athletic ability, especially being able to make that conversion from a DN to an offensive tackle. He also played varsity basketball in high school, knows how to use his feet. That's why that shuttle and, and things of that nature become a little bit more important. He redshirted his freshman year and bulked up to make that switch to offensive tackle. Now, due to COVID-19, the FCS season got completely shaken up. They played one spotlight game back in October of 2020 against Central Arkansas. So the last tape anybody really has on him is from his week at the Senior Bowl, which we spoke very highly of him based on his performance. Although he did start slowly, but he absolutely finished as one of the top, if not the top offensive linemen at the Senior Bowl behind your center that you love so much. But if we talk about stats, so last film that we saw, 2018, 2019, 18, 897 snaps, 333 of those were pass attempts, allowed four sacks, one hit, eight hurries. In 2019, 930 snaps, 350 of those were pass um, plays, zero sacks, one hit, 10 quarterback hurries. I say that because I see improvement in his maturity um, and in his skill set still learning how to play the position, protecting a very nimble, not predictive quarterback behind Mm -hmm. him as well, right? Like, go ask an offensive lineman for the Baltimore Ravens, like, how hard it is to actually block for Lamar Jackson, because you never know where he is. Like, you think you're done blocking for the play, and you're literally blocking your guy into Lamar Jackson as he's trying to boot out and and scramble. Yeah, linemen want to know where the quarterback is. 100%. If you ask an an offensive lineman who's their favorite quarterback to to pass block four it's the guy who takes traditional five and seven step drops and is in that pocket because they know where he is at all times like mac jones stop we're not going there today (laughs) so games i watched 
Central Arkansas, and honestly, only I watched the Senior Bowl week where he was going up against people like Patrick Jones, Shaka Tony, Rashad Weaver, Ellerson Smith, some highly regarded prospects in this draft. All are going before day, you know, in probably somewhere in day two, early day three. Um, and I went back and I watched in 2019 the game against Delaware. Um, probably his highest level of competition that he's facing from a, from an FCS standpoint because they didn't face any FBS teams. Weaknesses, level of competition. It's, it's one double-A football, right? You, you just don't know. It's always a roll of the dice. Um, upper body strength is a concern. His upper body build, he's lean. A really sturdy base, but up top, he is, he is relatively lean. When I was watching the tape, I saw too much of catching the defender in pass blocking. So inviting that defender to almost make first, con- uh, first contact. He's really quick out of his step, and he gets into position real quick. But it's like he's opening up, waiting for that person to come. And in the NFL, that's going to get you bull rushed all day long. And he's not strong to really... Yeah, like he's not going to overcome that. I want my tackle to deliver first blow, whether that's a punch, whatever it is, while I'm I'm getting out of my stance, essentially. I, I don't even know if I can define him as dominant at the FCS level from what I saw. Really, really good. But he wasn't necessarily, especially in the passing game, he wasn't manhandling anyone. It's a different story when you look at his run blocking. He's pretty darn good, um, especially getting the second level, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I didn't see a lot of like one-on-one blocking. They, especially in the run game, like they let him like chip first of first defender and get out to the second level where he really excels. He just has a knack to go find that person on the second level and and put his body on him. What does this equate to? You can bull rush this guy. Mm-hmm. You can bull rush this guy all day long. Um, he's better at taking 45-degree angles and not dropping straight back and inviting that contact. But I do think these are things that are coachable, and I do think he can rectify his upper body strength with proper strength and conditioning coaching in the yeah. NFL. These guys are the elite of the elite. Now some of the positives. Super athletic. I, th- I think he's, he's very athletic for an offensive tackle. He's got great length. I think that – that 33-inch arm is like the benchmark for what most um, teams are looking for and what they expect from a typical tackle. He has a tremendous base given his lack of weight, which to me says he's got room to add weight to the frame. He plays with tremendous effort um, through the whistle all the time. And that's kind of what I was looking for when I'm looking at tape if I'm questioning the competition level. Um, not so much are you dominating – but are you like taking it for granted or are you playing with effort and hustle? And he showed me a lot of effort. I already talked about how great he is in the run game um, and how good he is at disengaging that initial block to get to the second level of the defense. Um, he's athletic enough to progress in pass blocking. Um, he does, when he does throw that punch, he actually times it well. So I don't know why he doesn't trust it as much as he should have or leverage it as much as he should have. But when, when I would watch him and he would get that first punch out, he stifled that defender, and he bought himself time to see what are the what are the avenues and what are the paths that this, this defender can take to get to my quarterback. Um, when he does get his hands on you first, he is really tough to break that grasp. Yeah, he's going to get called for some holding penalties, um, especially in the NFL where there are always you could call holding on every single play. But I think that's going to service him well. And as I mentioned, he finishes blocks. And he's talked about how important it is to him to finish his blocks. And I like that competitive streak. Pro comp, I have two. And they're both from the same school. Not as Dylan, but they both play the school. Joe Staley. Yep. 
Similar statures. He's not as athletic as Joe. I mean, Joe ran like a 4740 mm-hmm. and came into college as a tight end. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of a different athletical uh, athletic makeup. And the other one, so Joe played at a, a smaller FBS program out of Central Michigan, Chip, Go Chippewas. And the other one I would say is Eric Fisher, who also came from that smaller, very same smaller FBS school, Central Michigan. Similar, I'm going off just like size, level of competition that they faced, and the skill sets that they bring. And I think those are, are fair pro comps to what I might expect from someone like Dylan Radin. Yeah, I, I think uh, Staley is the appropriate uh, comparison right there. I'm a big fan. If you go back to the tapes in Senior Bowl, Pretty sure he said he'll be a first-round draft pick. It might be stretching it. Depend, you know, could go to the Chiefs. You know, they need a tackle. They like those small-time, uh, uh, you know, small-school uh, offensive linemen. But like I said, I loved them back then. I like I like him even uh, more now. So so funny you say that because I was listening to your boys, Jim Miller and Pat Kerwin, this afternoon. And they were literally talking about how the Chiefs are going to go find themselves an offensive lineman at the bottom of the first oh, round 100%. here, and they were betting money on it. And I think this guy fits that build. Exactly. All right, we're going from one offensive lineman to another. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, offensive lineman from USC. Notice how I didn't give him a specific position on the offensive lineman. We'll get into that in a little bit. I'm also going to just use the words AVT because his name's really long. So, so background in uh, uh, with AVT. In 2019, he played guard. He was phenomenal. Uh, he originally opted out in 2020 because of the uncertainty of COVID. But then, not only did he decide to come back in 2020 – He's like, hell, let's try a new position. Let me play uh, left tackle. And he actually thrived at left tackle. He only allowed two pressures in his first five games as left tackle in 2020. Some games I watched, um, Notre Dame, Utah, Oregon, and UCLA. Some of his strengths, versatility. Once again, this is a term that's misconstrued, people. Versatility means being able to play multiple positions at an effective level. The effective level part is the most important part there not just being able to play numerous positions. Vera Tucker will be an elite guard in the NFL, but he also can kick him out to left tackle, and he'll be effective in doing so. Pro Football Focus gave him an 81.8 grade for his 2020 season as left tackle and a 78.8 grade for his 2019 play at left guard. These are the things I noticed, two, the first two uh, strengths of his. His control. He plays so under control in pass protection. It's remarkable how methodical and ho-hum he plays. It's like, yeah, you're not getting by me. And he makes it look so effortless. It's eerily reminiscent of Jonathan Ogden because that is how Ogden used to play back in the day. He used to laugh. He has fantastic balance. Ogden was so fun to watch. Sorry, I don't mean to derail you, but he was such a good football player. And he would laugh when he'd block. It was amazing. So fantastic balance. AVT has great body control. He's rarely off balance, which is impressive because he has shorter arms, especially for a left tackle. Normally when an offensive lineman has shorter arms, they try to strike first and lunge forward and overextend themselves to overcompensate for the lack of length, which then leaves them vulnerable to move like for moves like the one-arm jab moves, the push-pulls, the clubs, but not him. He's never out of place or oversets. There was a play in the Utah game where, he, where the defensive end had a nasty spin move. Any other north, normal offensive tackle would have been unbalanced and let, the pass, and let him rush right past him, but not him. He was able to keep his balance and catch a mid-spin. It was very impressive. He has a wide, thick frame that helps to create a solid anchor for him. Bull rushers barely phase him. He doesn't give up much ground when he gets bull rushed. He has quick feet where he does a good job mirroring and staying in front of the, of the defender. 
just reminded me of like a dancing bear kind of. He's smart. He's quickly able to identify stunts and twits, twists. His head's always on a swivel, always looking to help out. Adequate getting to the second level to engage linebackers. Once again, there's a play in the Utah game. This was insane. He blocked the defensive lineman, climbed to the second level, shoved the linebacker, then went to the third level and disrupted the safety's attacking angle. The dude blocked three different guys on one play. He's a solid technician, ideal hand placement, always keeps the hands inside, good job using his hands, keep himself clean of defender's hands, solid against counters. Once again, there's a play in UCLA where he looked like a sumo wrestler the way he was slapping the hands of the edge rusher away. He must really have strong hands because I didn't see anyone get off his blocks and pass protection. Some weaknesses. I'd like to see him play a little nastier. He doesn't blow defenders off the ball. would like to see him move defensive linemen off their mark as opposed to just shielding them from penetrating a certain gap. The measurables. Oh, I really wanted him to have like longer arms because he would have been my third-ranked offensive tackle in the draft. But seldom do we ever see a strictly offensive tackle succeed long-term with sh- arms shorter than 33 inches. That's the benchmark, and he came at 32 and an eighth inch arms. So he is a guard. Evaluators take that seriously. Uh, yeah. he, he is a guard. Yeah. Has somewhat unorthodox labored and back uh, a labored backpedal, which I can see speed rushes causing problems if he plays left tackle. It's a combination of his feet placement and also the way he cocks and recoils his arms before he engages defenders. It's like over-exaggerated. It's very weird. Uh, this is coming from a left tackle standpoint. Needs to drop back and finds his mark as a left tackle quicker. Plays with good get players with good get off will cause him problems time to time. Now the Oregon game that's huge because everyone keeps on saying you gotta watch the Oregon game. This was his bad tape. This is the game where his physical limitations as a left tackle showed up as he went against some elite pass rushers from Oregon and specifically Kayvon Thibodeau, who gave him fits. Like I said, a lot said he had a rough game. But I'm not going to say it'd be, it was rough. I'll just say it was adequ- adequate at, at worst. Not all of it was on him. I felt like his quarterback was slow on his progressions, and he had a tendency to hold the ball, which really let them out to dry numerous times. Pro comparison, I'm going to throw out a name here, but don't kill me, all right? Zach Martin. Now, the reason why, hear me out, they are both built extremely similar. Martin coming out of college was 6'4", 308, which is exactly what AVT measured in. In addition, both have similar frames, wide and thick. That being said uh, about AVT, whatever was, saying, was being said about AVT right now was said about Martin back then. It's a shame their arms aren't 33 inches because they would have been fantastic tackles. Doesn't mean they can't play tackles. Look at what Martin did in, in 2020 for Dallas. He played tackle for them last year during a couple of emergency situations. It was really good. AVT provides that same flexibility. Now, another reason why I feel like they're similar, look at their workouts. Martin's vertical jump, 28 inches. AVT's, 32. Martin's three-cone drill, 7.65 seconds. AVT's, three, a three-cone drill, 7.7 seconds. Martin's 20-yard shuttle, 4.59 seconds. AVT's, 4.63 seconds. Martin's bench, 29 reps. AVT's, 36 reps. Best fits, how about the Cardinals? They had numerous weapons. They added numerous weapons to help uh, Murray. They acquired Rodney Hudson this offseason. Adding AVT will help fortify the interior of the offensive line so Murray doesn't have to run for his life. The Steelers, they lost a lot of talent on the offensive line over the last couple of years. They need to rebuild it for their final run with Big Ben and whoever is the successor of Big Ben in the future. They're old and unproven along the offensive line. AVT can add some stability. Last but not least, how about the Giants? Gettleman loves his hog molly. 
And I don't think he was shy away from taking the third best offensive lineman in this year's draft to pass with, uh, to pair up with Thomas from last year. Is he a day one guy? Day one guy? This guy might be the 10th pick, 11th pick. Okay. This is the third. There's only two offensive linemen better than him. Okay. A guard. Last guard we saw go that high, Quentin Nelson. He's not Nelson. He's not as Nelson. Nelson's just mean. Just a mean individual. I like it. I, 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 I like his tape as well. I think he's a, a solid player. I do agree with you that he's a tailor-made guard in the NFL. Uh, and hopefully he's achieves all those levels of success that, we, that he, yeah. he is wishing for himself. So who do you got? So this was a tough one for me. And it was tough because there are just so many – people just like him from a position standpoint in this draft in particular, and I'm talking about NFL prototypical slot wide receivers. So I went with Elijah Moore, wide receiver, Ole Miss. Love it. 21 years old, 5'9 and a half, a buck 78, ran a 4'3", 240, 36-inch vertical leap, 10-foot, 1-inch broad jump, and actually had 17 bench reps of 225 pounds that's a strong little man Mm -hmm. if you ask me some quick background here so he's coming off an uber successful 2020 season where he at times literally seemed unstoppable his speed his quickness it's going to allow him to actually contribute as a return man as well which i think is going to bode him well in the nfl Um, coming out of high school he was a four-star recruit listen to this class he came out of high school with Jalen Waddell, Justin Ross, and he actually ranked higher coming out of high school than Jamar Chase and Rondell Moore. I thought that was pretty exciting stuff. The, the amount of offers this guy had and chose to go to Ole Miss, it's, it's like mind-boggling why he made that choice versus anywhere else he could have gone. But I think long-term that was the better decision for him because of the exposure he ultimately got, especially last year. But yes, this is also the same guy who lifted his leg to pee at, like a dog as a celebration after scoring a touchdown that set the football world on fire. Love it at the collegiate level. Yeah, I, I just, I just love, I love antics like that. You know, it's just, I, I don't know how great it is for the game. I just, I always get a kick out of them. Uh, as, don't as be a, a boomer. I know, I know, I'm totally boomer. 2020 had 86 receptions, 1193 yards, eight touchdowns. Just under 14 yards of catch. 2020, or in 2020, 639 snaps. 491 of those were from the slot. So that's just about 80%. I just want you to keep this in mind as we talk about strengths and weaknesses. In 2019, 67 receptions, 850 yards, six touchdowns, 12.7 yards per catch. Just to give you an idea, is production. Games that I watched, Mississippi State, where he went 12 for 139. South Carolina, he went 13 for 225 and two touchdowns. Vanderbilt went 12 for 238 and three touchdowns. And against Alabama, went 11 for 143. And I think that's the most impressive tape he put out there, even though he didn't find the end zone. Against that Alabama defense in, in 2020, that, again, quite impressive. So some of his weaknesses. He's undersized. He has a, a limited catch radius. He tremendously struggles against press man coverage. In fact, they did such a good job of moving him around in motion, lining him up in the slot to create that natural separation from press coverage to allow room for his release, which I'm going to talk about um, in just a moment, how special that that release is. He's 
he's almost non-existent on the outside. They've lined him up outside. Um, a lot of times they'll motion him in to get him out there, but when he remains on the outside, he's 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 non-existent. So he to me is more of that gadget guy, that gadget fit. So that that leads back to being that more ideal slot guy. NFL defensive backs will handle him deep down the field, unquestionably, just given his size. But I think he does certain things well to give him an advantage when I'm talking about how he does stretch the field. So this guy is super explosive, and I mean super explosive. Big playability with the ball in his hands. It's a potential home run every time he touches the rock. But he's tailor-made for the slot. He's super quick off the ball. He's abnormally quick in and out of his breaks. Another guy I say no wasted movement, no hesitation or false step. He's just a quick release. Um, One of the things that I love about him is the effort. He goes hard on every play. I did not see one play where he was actually walking off the ball. The NFL, these people are really smart. They see a false step. They see a half-ass effort on a release from a line of scrimmage. They know it's a run play, or they know you're not involved in the play, and they immediately focus elsewhere. And I think he just does a good job of selling the fact that the ball could be coming to him on any play. He plays with zero fear in traffic. So he had some concentration drops for sure that I'm sure he got some alligator arms, but he's the willingness to go there for a guy of his size, uh, I find that extremely sexy if he's somebody that I'm evaluating. And he positions his body really well. Not like Jamar Chase, where I was defining when he goes up for the ball and he's like this contortionist. He just has a unique way of, even if he's going to the ground to make the catch, to position himself in a place where the hands are underneath and, he, and, he, and he's making a spectacular play. Really strong hands, really tough kid, and he can stack the D back. So like I was saying that if a – if a defensive back is able to get their hands on him, they're going to manhandle him. But when he's stretching the field, he does a really good job, if he gets past them, to controlling them by getting on the opposite side and doing what they call stacking that defensive back to control the effort that that person could put forth. If I come to a stop, this guy runs through me, it's P.I., right? If I throttle down and he stays throttled down with me, put the ball over my shoulder, I'm in a position to make a play. So crafty, creative, I, I, I like those things about him. Lot to like about Elijah Moore outside of his production. Pro comp, his own head coach, Lane Kiffin, compared him to Steve Smith Sr. Mm. With regards to his toughness and stop and start ability. And he emphatically made this comparison. I think that is a super heavy endorsement of anybody. And I don't necessarily see Steve Smith in Elijah Moore. Because Steve Smith was special outside, right? He was not necessarily just a slot guy. I'm stealing somebody else's comp here, but NFL.com had a comp to Antonio Brown. Mm -hmm. Coming out of school, going back and looking at AB's draft profile, he was thought to only fit in the slot as well. You know, Little did we know that he would become, for an extended period of time, an elite outside the numbers wide receiver. But this is also why I don't like pro comps. Because that's setting lofty expectations on this individual. I could say he compares to Antonio Brown, but realistically, like that's doing him a disservice. So just right? hedge your bet. Just say he's a poor man's Antonio Brown. No, so I don't. I if don't, he's good, he's Antonio Brown. If he's not, he's I'd he's say 
the draft profile is eerily similar to somebody like Antonio Brown. If you're asking me what the expectations for Elijah Moore should be from a pro comp perspective, to me, I see Curtis Samuel coming out of Ohio State. And equating to the production that Curtis Samuel's giving now to Mm -hmm. NFL teams, I think that is very realistic for Elijah Moore. He's dynamic from the slot, great in open space, and a home run threat every time he touches the ball. All right. I'm a big fan of Moore. Uh, I do get those A-B feels as well, Uh, like I said. But is that fair? I mean, A-B was arguably – Hump, he became. became, He didn't get drafted. But I think when people hear pro comp, that's what they – the not-so-educated fan immediately thinks – I'm drafting Antonio Brown. Like, no. <laughs> you know? Like, the A-B that we remember was not A-B coming out. So how, it took how, while to get there. How about this? Fans, educate yourself, all right? <laughs> Don't read so much into a pro comparison. Yeah. All right, so now I'm going to actually uh, – we're going to flip the script here, and we're going to talk about pretty much uh, players were like, why are they getting so much hype? And I'm going to lead off here with Gregory Rousseau, defensive end out of the U, Miami. Uh, this year is not a good year when it comes to pass rushers, to say the least. Uh, there's not too many, to be honest with you. That I'm not sure if, when the first pass rusher will actually get drafted, but uh, that is, could be a reason why Gregory Rousseau is a first. People consider him a first round pick. I don't. So let's go uh, some some background here. So in 2019, Rousseau had 54 tackles, 19 and a half tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks. He was literally the second best player in 2019. Chase Young was obviously the first one. As a true freshman. No, actually, was yeah. He, he was uh, a true no, freshman. No, he was 18 years old, no? Uh, I thought he was a redshirt freshman. Uh, well, no matter what, he was still young. He was a freshman. Yeah. <clears throat> that, then, <laughs> way to bail yourself out. Uh, then uh, what happened, you know, he, he, like a lot of players in 2020, he opted out because of COVID, and you can't, you know, blame him. So I had to go back and watch some 2019 film. The games I watched was Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Florida State. Some strengths, he has elite measure, uh, measurables. He's six foot seven, 266 pounds, has 34-inch long arms, which will give short-arm offensive tackles problems. We were talking about you, want that, you need at least 33-inch arms for offensive tackles. Players like him will give the short guy, uh, arm, the T-Rex guy arms, a lot of problems because they can extend and really push him around. He uses his length well to disengage blockers. And we went over the 2019, he had a monster year. He's way too quick on for interior offensive linemen when lining up as a three technique or a zero technique on passing downs. Three of his four sacks against Florida State were when he was lined up on the interior of that defensive line. His weaknesses, I didn't see that this agility and athleticism everyone's talking about. He was slow to get off the edge. I'm not sure if maybe it's a football IQ or him just playing with hesitancy as opposed to his actual speed because he did run a 4.6840, so that's pretty impressive for his size. He has inactive hands. He's slow on stunts. Inconsistent pad level will leave his six foot seven frame exposed. He has no plan of attack while rushing. He just extends his arms, benches the player off, and then tries to shed off looking for the ball carrier or the cornerback or quarterback. He attempts to win with strength and speed and is way too raw from a technique standpoint. He doesn't have a repertoire of pass, of pass rushing moves or even a go-to move. In the NFL, there's always someone there that's bigger, stronger, and faster than you. He's a one-hit wonder. I don't know. It sounds like he could be. He had those eye-popping stats in 2019, but let's take a deeper dive into the, some of those sacks. 
His one sack in the Virginia game was the result of the left side of the pocket being collapsed by the opposite side rusher, number 97, when he turned to flush and when uh, <clears throat> and when the, which then the quarterback t- uh, actually went into the arms of Rousseau. So he didn't create that sack. He was the beneficiary of that sack. The sack against Virginia Tech was when they assigned a tight end to block him. Really? Congrats. You beat a tight end that's probably working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car now. He gives me this tweener vibe. Some will say he's versatile, but not me. In my opinion, he's not athletic enough to win on the edge. He's too tall and light to be a consistent interior defensive lineman. What is he, a situational pass rusher? Those type of guys get drafted in the third round of the draft. He has a mediocre RAS score of 7.75 out of 10. The areas of concern for me is his explosion score, which is his vertical, and his agility, which is his shuttle scores. That is, those were really poor. So he's just basically one of those straight-line speed guys. He's not athletic. He comes off as me as just really raw and, like, a you know, a raw player. And to me, I don't think that warrants a first-round grade. I think it's, like I said, it's more of a third-round grade. What he was do- What was he doing during his opt-out year, by the way? He wasn't getting ready for his combine or pro day. He had subpar numbers, unlike Parsons. Remember I said Parsons? He took off last year, and then he killed it. This guy did the opposite. Pro comparison for uh, Rousseau, best-case scenario, he's Carlos Dunlap. That's absolutely best-case scenario. Not bad. But I see more Solomon Thomas in him from a career projection, a man really without a position, not quick and athletic enough to win on the edge, not strong enough to be consistently uh, be lined up in the middle of the defensive line. Best fits? How about the Jets? They signed Carl Lawson to be their Leo. They need a big end opposite in that defense, and he could be one of them. The Colts, they need some help on the edge with Justin Houston still being floated around free agency. And last but not least, the Vikings. If anyone can utilize Rousseau appropriately, it would be Mike Zimmer. They're in dire need to rebuild that defense and get an opposite threat of, uh, for Daniel Hunter, who's raw come out of college like Rousseau. A lot of people say that's the comp right there is Daniel Hunter, but not, I don't think so. Uh, but Zimmer was able to get a lot out of Hunter, he might be able to do the same with Rousseau. So it's funny because I like Rousseau. I, I understand everything that you're saying. Um, and part of the reason why I, I like this individual is, and you were right, it was his redshirt freshman year that he put up 15. And I, I double-checked that after I put my foot in my mouth. That being said, heard this man on the radio in an interview with Solomon Wilcox and big game Tory Holt. And he just seems like a really polished individual a headsy player who is a super raw talent. And he talked about his eagerness to play anywhere where the coaches want to play him. I'm gonna, You're making the same arguments that I'm about to make for, for my individual that I'm not so emphatically in, in love with. And I think is climbing boards due to just raw athletic ability, but uh, a huge sense of unprovenness, if, if you will. I, I am rooting for Gregory Rousseau to, especially after hearing that interview and hearing how he represented himself as a person and not feeling and feeling like it was very authentic and not coached up his talk track. But I'm, I can't disagree with any of your points because I saw all the same things, right? So I'm going to wrap us up with the individual I'm not so in love with or more so not understanding what the pre I understand what the pre-draft type is I just don't necessarily agree with it and it, it's Jason Oway um, the edge rusher from Penn State coming off of his redshirt sophomore year he's 22 years old 
in lieu, it's really hard for me to speak ill of this individual, and I'm not speaking ill of him. It's just not understanding all of the buzz because he is from our hometown of Howell, New Jersey. How could I ever badmouth somebody? What I will say is his parents were drinking. There's a lot of people from Howell. Yeah, I know, I know. There. His parents were giving him an entirely different access to drinking water than our parents were giving when I started talking about the athletic ability here. He is six foot five, two hundred and fifty-seven pounds, and ran a four three six forty at his pro day. He has thirty-four and a half inch arms, a thirty-nine and a half inch vertical, and eleven foot two inch broad jump. At six foot five, two hundred and fifty-seven pounds. That is ridiculous. So I just said he's from Howell. He played at Blair Academy. He played in the high school Under Armour All-American game. Two different publications, so 247 Sports and ESPN, respectively, had him ranked as the number four and number two player coming out of New Jersey. He played basketball in high school, and you're going to hear me say this a bunch of times. He is an athletic freak of nature. In 2018, his true freshman year, he only played four games before he redshirted. Two sacks, one hurry. 2019, 13 games, five sacks, three hits, 23 hurries. 2020, seven games, five hits, 15 hurries, zero sacks. So we're saying a guy with seven sacks in three years is a first-round pick? That's what draft pundits are going to try to explain to you. Here's the thing. You draft players who are highly athletic players that have you this crazy upside later on in the draft. You don't – you want – Athleticism, explosion, and production for first round players. Four three six forty, thirty nine and a half inch vertical, eleven foot two inch broad jump at six five two fifty seven. People fall in love with this, and I understand. I understand, but how many times have we seen that pan out? One out of a hundred, right? So what I saw was regression over the years. Games I watched: Maryland, Ohio State, Michigan. I. I see him line up against the right tackle a lot, and I never really saw him be faced with taking on a double block, right? And any he was always taken out of the play with a single block. You're talking about from Michigan? I'm talking about in the Maryland game. Oh, okay. But mm-hmm. in all games. But most more often than not, he was lining up against the right tackle. Strengths. Athletic freak. There is no denying his athletic ability. Prototypical NFL build. His skill set cannot be taught, but it can absolutely be coached, hopefully. He is a strength-speed prospect. He comes off the the corner in a hurry. He does make contact first because he's so quick off the ball. He plays with a ton of effort, and he chases down those backside runs and plays from behind the play really, really well. And that's a lot to do with his God-given athletic ability. His weaknesses – in the NFL, if he's going to play 4-3 and he's going to put his hand in the dirt, he better bulk up a little bit. I think he's better suited for a 3-4 and realistically is probably a specialty pass rusher early in his career. But to me, where's the tape, right, from last season? And what I mean by that is I watched plenty of it. I just didn't see any real production. You're supposed to be getting better, not taking step back. If you're talking about an individual and labeling him as a potential first-round talent, how am I not seeing zero sacks? Do you think all of a sudden he's going to get to the NFL and he's going to put up 12, 14, 16 sacks a year? I just don't think that's a realistic realistic expectation, and you're putting unfair expectations on a 21-year-old kid. He should be dominating the competition at that level. He lacks pass rush moves. He's speed rush only. He needs to develop better hands. He takes himself 
out of the play by trying to bull rush these offensive tackles, but he makes zero progress. He's not strong enough to do that just yet is what the tape is telling me. And he's out of position quite frequently. So to me, I chalk that up to probably some below average instincts. Um, I think he, yeah, I think he struggles and is slow at just locating the ball. And to me, he'll ultimately play better standing up versus hand in the ground. I think I think he's a better three four scheme fit. Again, when I look at the intangibles, I it screams upside, screams upside. But the tape to me just tells a different story. And I've I've said since day one, since we've started this podcast tape, I trust my eyes and I trust tape more than I trust anything else. This is not a knock on this individual. I hope he goes to the right scenario. I hope he gets the right coaches because what you can do with that athletic ability is scary. And I hope he recognizes his athletic ability. But in the the purpose of this segment is to talk about people that we just don't understand why they are rising up the draft boards. And I just don't understand. Are these, are these folks not watching the same games that I'm watching? I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. It sounds like he's an athlete that can't play football. And I also think coaches and uh, general managers are arrogant. Be like, well, he's got all the the measurables. We'll teach him how to play. Hundred percent. And guess what? Him and players like uh, Rousseau will get coaches and GMs fired. Yes, they will. Especially if they're taken in the first round. This guy's taken round three, round four, and That's he doesn't fine. pan out. It's forgotten about. So pro comps, developmental player, ton of upside. But can you take this guy in the first round? To me, the answer is no. But somebody will. Somebody absolutely will. To me, he's a specialty pass rusher. I've already said that. I've seen comparisons to Bud Dupree. I've seen comparisons to Chandler Jones. I actually like the Chandler Jones comparison. Similar size, similar skill set, although I undoubtedly think Chandler Jones will ultimately be defined as the much better pro, um, given the, the just their history. He is as athletically gifted as Jadavion Clowney, just nowhere near the same level of college production and tape that Jadavion put out there. So, but I don't think it's hard for him to live up to the NFL production that Jadavion Clowney has put out there because I I would not label Jadavion Clowney a bust. I would label him as somebody who never reached the pinnacle of what he was supposed to as the number one overall pick in a draft. He gives me Arden Key vibes. Yeah. Arden Key from LSU's. Super freak athlete. Yep. yep. He was supposed to be a first-round draft pick, just didn't work out, got drafted let, uh, later on. And guess what happened? Was he released today or yesterday? Arden Key. I think it was yesterday. I don't know. It's late at night here. Yeah. I, I forget. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, uh, you take him in the first round, you better be looking for a new job. Awesome. Well, Lou, that wraps us up. Um, so there you go. Ten prospects that, that listeners can learn a little bit more about. Obviously, we're going to cover the draft at great length over the next few. I'm on the I'm on the cusp here of teasing about our Do next it. segment next bit. week. All right, so we are going to jump into some seven round mock drafts with some teams that have been chosen by the fans essentially, and by fans, friends, and family who we've convinced to tell us what team that they want <laughs> us to to talk about. But we're going to have two surprise guests on. So I don't want to give away names. I'll, I'll save that for, for time of show. But we are going to have two guests who are pretty predominant in, in their walks of life in, in the podcast world covering their very specific teams. So I'm really, really excited about that. And then we will wrap heading the week of the draft with you and I going through. Alternating mock draft. Alternating mock draft for round one. So, Lou, 
after our two-week hiatus, feels real good to get back at it. Looking forward to getting back on the mic uh, next week and, and unveiling some of our guests. And we'll continue with our draft coverage and hope everybody has a wonderful night. All right.